0: All right. Um, Good morning, everybody. Yes, sir. Good morning. We're going to get started. Um, Seth, I think, has got the door over there. Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer to start. Father, God, we thank you for for this day. Uh, We thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to come here today and to worship together and to seek you together and to seek to understand as much about you as you've given us to understand in your word lord and i do pray that you would give us wisdom and i just pray that your holy spirit would come and help each of us to understand your word to love you more and to just really um have these things these truths come to life and to come to light in our hearts and uh God, I do pray that um, you would just protect us from the enemy and from distraction and from all manner of things that can take away from us understanding and loving your word and appreciating what we have to see here today. So I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So this uh, in the first lesson of our series on the decrees of God, I talked about the biblical basis for the teaching, and then I also kind of introduced this Concept, I guess, from the catechism. And so the last time we were together, we spent the morning looking at some of the attributes of God and some of the characteristics of God and His nature and how these things help us to better understand and navigate this topic. And so, as you know, I did not um, comprehensively do that, but I did it in such a way as to pick out certain aspects that were important. And so a quick review would be, we, we looked at the trinity And we looked at the fact that the triune God has made an eternal covenant of redemption in which God has chosen to create the world, in which he's chosen to seek and save lost sinners for his glory. We looked at the fact that the triune God is a covenantal God and his eternal decrees, those uh, purposes that he has in himself from eternity are connected to this fact and how important it is to understand who our God is as a triune God. And then after that, we looked at the fact that God is immutable. Immutable means never changing. He doesn't ever change. And this means we're really grateful about this because it means that his, his decrees or his purposes are not just possibilities or like ideas or potentialities, things that might come to pass. But instead, they're guaranteed promises. They're certain. And we can trust God in his certain decrees. And then uh, the last thing we looked at is we looked at the fact that God is good, just, true, and wise. We looked at his character in the ways that we can understand. His, His purposes are always for good. There's no iniquity in him. So even when it seems to us from our limited perspective as if God is not being like good in our view, the reality is that God is always good no matter what. And so the Bible teaches us that when man or Satan or demons mean something for evil... God always uses that for His good. Okay, that always uses that for His glory. And so that was the whole summary of our lesson last week. And if you weren't there, please go back and listen to it again. But uh, in the meantime, we're moving on to the next lesson. But before we do, let's just first review the questions and answers. So first of all, read the question, then you guys can all read the answer together. So what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God. How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and promise. Thank you all. So now we're going to dive into today's lesson, okay? And today's lesson has to do with what's called incomprehensibility. So it's all about the topic of mystery and the higher and more glorious thoughts that God has in comparison with us as human beings. So we have limited... Minds. We are what you call finite, and God is infinite. His mind is beyond us. So I already mentioned this before. I mentioned this in pretty much every lesson so far, but we're going to dive deeper into it a little bit more today and study it in more depth, because it's so important when we're studying the decrees of God to understand this fact about God. So uh, the reality of our status as human beings is that our minds are very limited. So our understanding is not perfect of God. And this is where the concept of incomprehensibility comes in, okay? So, does anyone here know what incomprehensibility means? Unable to be comprehended. <laughs> yeah, so I think, we might, I, think I might have asked you that before, I can't remember, but either way, it's not, it's not too complicated. It's unable to be comprehended, but it's important to realize something about this. It does not mean that you can't know anything about God, okay? So incomprehensibility means that it's, there's an ele- element of unable uh, inability to comprehend God. But it does not mean that we can't understand anything about God. And it, it just means that we can't fully understand everything. So I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, it's, it's, we can reveal a certain amount about God, but we can't understand every last detail, every last thing about him. So that's where people might go wrong with that word, right? Is they might say, incomprehensibility. Well, I can't know anything. Which then means the whole Bible is useless. Uh, Christianity makes no sense and so forth. So let's prove this idea biblically. The fact that uh, that, that God is incomprehensible. And so the first verse we look at is Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine, And I've mentioned this, I think, in each lesson so far. It says, "...the secret things belong to the Lord our God." But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we, that we may do all the words of this law. So there's these certain things that are secret. Those belong to God. And there's certain things revealed, put forward for us and for our children forever. And then there's 1 Corinthians 2.11. I mentioned this one before as well. But it's such a good verse. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Okay, so the only way that you can fully understand God is if you are God. And then the only way for us to receive anything from God in a real meaningful sense is through the Holy Spirit in that regard. And so 1 Timothy 6 verse 15 to 16 adds to this idea of God's incomprehensibility. It says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. And then it says here, it says he. He dwells in unapproachable light. There's this unapproachable aspect to God. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. No one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So you have a clear indication there that God in His Word is teaching us that's this element of incomprehensibility. There's not, not every aspect of God is knowable. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says... The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. It says his understanding is unsearchable. His understanding is unsearchable. And, um, and so we understand there that basically means there's some aspects that he's revealed that are searchable. And there's some aspects in his knowledge, his understanding, the way he thinks and does things that is just unsearchable for us. We can't look into it. And then the ultimate famous one that I've read a bunch of times. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So this is just a summary, a little sampling of the doctrine of incomprehensibility. There's so many verses in the Bible, there's so many facts in Scripture that bring this forward. But I can't go through them all right now. But this is just a sample that proves what I'm saying. That God has given us a certain amount of things to know. He's given us things about himself that we can know. And then there's other things that are beyond us. And like I said, this has been said in pretty much every lesson so far. But it bears repeating. So whenever you're dealing with the decrees of God, this must be hammered into our heads. This fact that God's ways are higher than our ways. So the decrees of God are one of those areas in which we must content ourselves with knowing and understanding as much as God has given to us to understand. Right? And, and the Bible says we must not go beyond what is written. We must not try to go beyond what God has given to us in his word. Okay? So this, is, this reality of incomprehensibility is proven to us. So this um, quote right here is very helpful in understanding kind of a good image. I thought it really helped me to come to grips with incomprehensibility or who God is and the way that God is different from us. I'll read it to us. Um, this illustration really helps us to understand how holy and different God is. So, it says here, this guy's name is Matthew Barrett. He's a Baptist um, theologian. So it says no one can know or see the very essence of God. He is so glorious and His glory so infinite that we would be consumed. He is like the sun. If we look at the sun straight on, our eyes will burn and our sight will be lost. Should we dare to approach the sun, we will be disintegrated before we can ever lay a foot on its surface. And this is a key right here, I think. The proper way to experience the sun is through its effects. Its rays warm us and its beams give us light where there is darkness. But to look at the sun, no way, that's impossible. (coughs) Right? To look at the sun is impossible, but but yet the sun has so many benefits, so many ways that it impacts us, and so many things we can know about it and appreciate about it. But there's certain distances to the sun that we can never come. There's certain ways we can look at the sun that we could never do. In fact, that would kill us. That would harm us. It wouldn't do us any good. It's the same with God. God gives us light in the Word of God. He gives us light to our eyes, and, and He gives us an experience of His love, and He gives us all these things... But the reality is we need to stay within that light. We need to stay within what he's given us to know. Stay within experiencing him through these ways that he's ordained for us to do so, right? And not, not through some of our own methods or our own ideas of it. So this is really, I thought this was an incredibly helpful way to think about this concept, right? This sun image. I hope this sticks in your mind as much as it did for me. And so then I have found another really good quote regarding incomprehensibility from Matthew Barrett as well. And he says here, he says, God's word, the Holy Scripture, opens the door for us to have a true knowledge of God. And then get this, yet the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. Isn't that interesting? You go talk to maybe the most godly 80 year old man you can find on earth. And he's going to tell you, man, there's some things I don't know about God. You go talk to the most wicked person on the street here who thinks they know everything and have never studied God's word, have never prayed. And they're going to speak with so much confidence that they know exactly who God is and exactly what he should be like, right? Meanwhile, this guy, this old man says, man, there's so much I don't understand, but there's so much worship there, right? There's so much to be experienced in this God. And this reminds me of one of my favorite verses. Especially as a seminary student. It's a place where a lot of people think they know a lot of things. And so this was one of my go-to verses when I was there. It says, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. That's pretty good, eh? I mean, I'm not standing up here. Obviously, I believe we can think we know certain things. Like, I mean, I'm standing up here telling you a bunch of facts. It's a bit of a paradox, almost, this saying that Paul's giving. He's basically being like, if someone puffs himself up and is acting like a know-it-all, that's not what we should be like as Christians. Because guess what? God's incomprehensible. His wisdom is so beyond us. His, his goodness is so past finding out that at some point you just have to bow down and not act so proud in your own ideas, in your own knowledge, in your own wisdom. Okay, so this this statement, I think, really captures the state of knowledge and humble submission to the mystery of God and the person of God as incomprehensible um, in a good way that that should characterize a Christian. That should be something that is a reality in our lives as believers, people who put their confidence in our Lord. So um, does anyone have any questions so far as we've gone through this much? No, uh, no questions yet. Okay, so now we're going on to the next slide, which is incomprehensibility equals room for faith. So the fact is, if God is this far above us, and if he's this far different from us, that there's certain things we could never find out, never understand. Then it would be very strange if we could fully understand and comprehend everything about him, right? It would be very strange if we came at it with the idea that we could do so. And really, if you think about it, if we could fully understand God, if we could understand every aspect, every jot, every tittle, every single thing about him, that would actually make us on the same level as God, right? That would make us equal with God instead of making us his creations, his worshipers. So we would probably worship ourselves since we're sinners and we're proud. If we could find out everything, if we could know that much, we would worship ourselves. We would worship our own perfect intellect instead of trusting in God and his wisdom. And so understanding the reality of the incomprehensibility of God, we clearly realize that he's left room in the Christian faith for faith. Right? He's re- left room. He's, he's basically not only left room for it, he's made it a necessity. The way that you come to God is by faith, because he's incomprehensible, because he is, he's revealed a certain amount, and that's how much you should trust in, and you must have and, and it necessitates that we take him at His word. It necessitates that we come by faith and actually put trust in Him. And this is, a, this is just a byproduct. It's just a simple reality and a byproduct of the fact that we are limited creatures and we're fallen creatures. There's no other way we could approach God. God is who He is as the incomprehensible, infinite creator. And we are these little, fallen, sinful, limited individuals that He created. Okay, so the way that we approach God must be by faith. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says this. It says, walk by faith, not by sight. If you could know and understand and comprehend everything about God, you would not be walking by faith. You'd be walking by sight because you would know and see and understand everything. You wouldn't be walking in this mystery, this faith aspect. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's one of those kind of basic, you can almost say like a foundational statement that we can use in our daily Christian life, right? We can just think, think about when you're going towards God. When Say in the morning you're getting up and you're going to go pray. You think about this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that should, if, you, if you're a person of faith and you have Christ and you're, and you're filled with the Spirit, well, that just makes you stir up faith. That makes, you, that makes you confident in who God is because, wow, you realize he's so above me. He's so beyond me. He's the kind of God I can have faith in. He's the kind of God I can cast my confidence upon. At the end of the day, um, we do need to continue to seek the truth. Okay? We need to continue to seek in Scripture. We need to continue to study God's Word. But like I've said so many times before, that is only so that we can know however much God has revealed for us to know. Not so that we can try to know everything or that we can try to uh, just simply fill our brains with more information. That's why this faith aspect is so key. We can look to Scripture, and I, I want to show two examples up there. Second um, Timothy 3.7 and Acts 17.12 show us kind of the foolishness or the ridiculousness of a human and a finite... Fallen human being trying to find everything out or to try to figure everything out. So in 2 Timothy 3 verse 7, there's a description of a person there. It's like the worst, like you never want to be like this. You never want to be this man. It says these people are always learning, but they're never coming to a knowledge of the truth. He's talking about like people who strayed from the faith, false teachers, people who don't have faith, people who are even manipulating and deceiving other people. Always learning, never coming to a real knowledge of the truth. How tragic is that? And then in Acts 17.21, Paul shows up and he, he shows up at this place with lots of philosophers and thinkers and wise people and PhDs of his day, so to speak. And he's talking to them. And it describes these men in a certain interesting way. It says all they did all day long is they sat around waiting to hear someone tell them something new. That's all they did. They just wanted to hear something new for the sake of hearing a new thing. Right? This, these are the kinds of foolish ways of being that we don't want to have. But what, what God does when He's incomprehensible and when He is so beyond our finding out, but He's given us this limited and fixed and true revelation of Himself in Scripture, is He gives us everything we have to know. He tells us where to find it. We don't have to be like a guy who's always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. We don't have to be like a guy who's just sitting around all day constantly hoping to hear something new. We can go to the word. Yeah, we're going to hear new things. But ultimately, we're going to get to express our faith in God. We're going to get to worship God. We're going to get to enjoy God. And we know where to go and what to, where to look to find truth. So, yeah, one other thing I want to stress is you want to answer the question, why is it impossible to please God without faith? Like, Why? And it's because to not have faith is to not trust him and acknowledge that he knows better than you do. It's to not have faith is to think that you can figure him out. To not have faith is actually to think you know better than him. And of course that's not pleasing to you. Well, Think of, a, think of any of you who have children. When your son or daughter thinks they know better than you. Does this please you? Richard, does that please you when your sons and daughters do that? No, <laughs> I'm not saying that they need to have faith in you, but in a sense they do, right? They have to trust that you know better for them than they do. It's not a very good, uh, it's not a very good thing to have happen. So that also, interestingly enough, is why people who don't have faith always, without, without question, they always revert to idolatry, right? Because they don't want to trust in a God who's beyond them, who knows more than them, who knows better than them. So instead, what they do is they make a little God who they can carve out of wood or they can chrome shine on their truck or they can uh, look at in the mirror if they're obsessed with themselves and they can control that God, right? That God's within their grasp, that idol God. They don't have to have faith to worship that God. They can just have that constantly under their control and nice and, and neat and tidy and it'll never offend them and it'll never do anything, right? Because it's an idol. But the real true God, he speaks into your life. He changes you. He confronts you. He requires things of you. He asks you to have faith in him. Right? All these things that the real true God does that that an idol never does. So these people will, if they lack faith, that's our inclination, right? We're Christian. doesn't mean we don't sometimes revert to our old idolatrous habits, right? The minute you start to revert to some old source of comfort or some old source of Uh, Peace, or whatever it was that brought you peace or does bring you peace that isn't God. It's just you trying to get control of things. It's just you trying to basically um, bring God down to your level. Decrease His incomprehensibility and His grandeur and His amazingness. Fit Him into your limited human mind. That's what idol worship is. And we need to detest that. We need to try to have faith in God. We need to trust God to stir our hearts, Go into his word, pray to him, beg him to increase your faith, right? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Lord, I believe, help my faith, strengthen my faith, increase my faith. And so with that said, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, like I read at the beginning about the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, right? It told us that there are certain things we can know. So we know now there's certain things that we can know. And this is important to keep in mind. When I'm talking about faith is I'm not talking about blind faith. Right? I'm not talking about blind faith. People often chuck this word around blind faith. A Christian doesn't have blind faith. They do have, there's a real sense that you can talk about a leap of faith sometimes in your, in your, in your Christian walk. There's sometimes where, for instance, it says in scripture, Abraham left his home not knowing where he was going. Like you got to admit that's a bit of a leap of faith, right? There's a, there's a sense in which he's going into the unknown. And he's trusting God to lead him and take care of him. And that's, that's really, if we're honest, every day of our Christian life. You don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. You don't know if your plans to stay at this job or do this or that or the other thing are going to last. You have no idea about those things. But there's this element of a leap of faith. But it's not blind. Okay, It's not blind, because always remember that when we have to make a decision, or when we have to plan for the future, or when we have to do these things, any leap of faith we're taking is not into blindness. It's not blind faith. It's not into the unknown. If you're a Christian, if you know God, if you've studied His Word, if you understand what He's like, then what you're doing is you're leaping into the arms of your loving God. You're leaping into the arms of the God who knows better than you, and said He will use all things for your good. Right? You're leaping into the arms of a God who's made a way to save you, to preserve you, and he's given you instruction. He's given you a lot to know. So it's not blind, okay? So that's something we need to consider. We need to just remember, though we do need to have faith, because God is incomprehensible, because he is higher than us, because he is um, the sovereign one, because he's the one who's above us, we do need to have faith. But it's not a blind faith. God's given us some things to hang on to. Some things to root our life in. And this, te- this takes us to the next aspect, which is, we've been talking about this and it raises the question of mystery, right? It raises this topic of mystery and the unknown in our Christian walk. So it's very important that we kind of have a healthy understanding of this. Um, that we have a real good grasp of what, what does the Bible mean or what do we understand as Christians when it comes to mystery, So obviously there is some mystery, right? I've already said God is incomprehensible, which means He knows some things, and we don't know some things. That means that sometimes we have to go to bed at night going, this is a mystery to me. And you have to be willing to trust God in that. You have to be willing to lay your head down and sleep, trusting that God has those things figured out. And so this word mystery is an important word in the Christian life. And just as an aside... This, is, this word mystery is not a good excuse. If somebody comes up to you and asks you a theological question that you don't know the answer to, if it is a fact, an actual mystery, you can say, yes, it's a mystery. But some of us, you know, we grew up in like youth group and different places like that. And you, have, you go up and ask your youth leader, what, what's the reason for X, Y, or Z? And he just goes, it's a mystery. And the next week you come by and you say, what's, what's this verse about? I don't know, it's a mystery. It's not like saying it's a mystery is not just an easy way for you to dodge questions that people ask you. That's why you need to know what God has revealed, right? That's why he said the secret things are his. The things that are revealed are for us. So you need to know what did he reveal and what's a secret. Then if someone comes up and asks you the question, you can say, this is the answer from this verse. But if they come up and say, "Uh, what is this? And you say, well, that's actually a mystery. And then you go and show them in the Bible how that's something that's beyond us or something that maybe there's an element of of mystery involved in it. And so, yeah, we have to understand that there is a healthy appreciation for mystery in the Christian life, but that this differs from agnosticism and from mysticism. So before we move on to studying a quote from Matthew Barrett that kind of dissects this idea of agnosticism, can somebody tell me what an agnostic is? Please. Someone who believes in a greater being, but not necessarily a specific one. Ones. Close. Can someone else try that? Know. Yes. Yes. So somebody who's not knowing. Somebody who does not know if there's a, if there's a God. Who does not know if there's divine. So they're, they're kind of taking a cop out and saying, you know, there's all these different options. And I'm going to say, I don't know. <laughs> It's not that I believe, it's just that I don't know if I do. It's just kind of like a step back. So this might seem like a humble or like a a good posture to take, but in fact it isn't. And we'll, um, uh, yeah, so we'll look at this quote here to kind of understand that a little bit better. It says, God's incomprehensibility is a helpful reminder that whenever we speak of the infinite God, there is a proper biblical role for mystery." That's what I've been telling us so far. Not agnosticism, though, but mystery. Okay. So the agnostic denies that we can know God or that he even exists. They maybe don't even deny it. They might just say, I don't know. right? And at the heart of the agnostic is an ir- irremovable distrust and a piercing skepticism of the divine. So ultimately, they're saying... I've read God's Word, hopefully. Hopefully they've read the Bible. Most of them probably have not. But an agnostic is going to say, I don't know, because they don't want to, they don't want to assert anything. They don't want to have confident assertion in anything that's solid or that, that they would have to say is true. Anything that would have to actually like be a backbone to their life or a rock-solid thing to put their confidence in. They don't want to do that. They just say, I don't know. The inter- interesting thing about this is that when God has spoken to us, When the God who's incomprehensible, who's above us, who's in the seat of authority because he created us. When he speaks, we're obligated to listen. And if we say, I don't know, after we read his words, that's just us saying, that's us basically saying, I don't want to believe you. Or that's us saying, I don't want to trust you. Or that's us rejecting him. And that's why he says here, right? He says... Um, the heart of, an, of agnosticism is an irremovable distrust and a piercing skepticism of the divine. So he's looking at, that, that agnostic is looking at the mystery of things, is looking at the incomprehensibility of things, and instead saying, I don't know, instead of, I believe you. Instead of, I trust you. You're good. I want to do what you say. Right? So we can understand, when we have a healthy appreciation of mystery, we're not trying to go this route. We're not saying, be agnostic about things don't don't say just i don't know but say god has given me a certain amount of things that i definitely do know but there's certain things that i that that are beyond me that's the way that's the disposition of a christian and so the other kind of pitfall that i want to cover there's agnosticism and then there's also mysticism okay so there are others who are religious people so the agnostic says i don't know But the mystic says, I am religious, I am a believer, I do believe in God. They boldly claim to believe in God, but they refuse to believe that there are certain things that can be known about him. A mystic often will reject the concept of dogma or like solid truth or scriptural kind of like rock solid concepts. They think that they should not have to be bound by these things like doctrines or like rational certainties, things that you can think through in your mind with your brain and come to a conviction about. So these people are what we call mystics. So it's very difficult, admittedly, and you're probably thinking if you've studied this at all, you're probably thinking maybe that's kind of, I'm trying my best to kind of lump mysticism into one kind of category. It's very difficult to define it. Or to lump it all together into one group. Because it's so prevalent in so many religions. It takes so many different shapes. It even finds itself evident in people who don't even claim to be religious sometimes. This mystical kind of mentality. Spiritual but not religious in their mind. But at the base of this uh, idea of mysticism is a denial of the truth. Or of the doctrinal aspects of the faith. These aspects that keep us anchored. That keep us fixed. On the true God and uh, and usually they deny those things, and instead they exchange them for experience, so they exchange it for like some kind of an experience with God, something that they feel, something that they get to do, something that they get to have with a personal in- interaction with the God who 's kind of beyond truths or beyond scripture, beyond their knowledge, so they actually um, they actually kind of become very experiential and in terms of interaction with God. And so I've given a, a, my best attempt to describe mysticism as, again, as a pitfall. I hope this will help you. Look at this bottom one. This is a definition I came up with, and you can feel free to cre- critique this on your spare time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> to s- mysticism is to seek after a mysterious God or a religious experience in a way that does not make use of the proper means and truths that God has revealed in Scripture. This causes such seekers to miss out on both God and any true experience of Him. So that's kind of, hopefully, not too complicated of a thing. Mystic, think of, it. it, it, the word is literally based on mystery. So they're almost abusing this concept that I'm describing, right? I'm talking about a healthy understanding of mystery. A mystic will abuse it. They'll seek after a mysterious God. They'll say, I can't understand you. I can't fully know you. They'll go into a religious experience of some kind. But they will not use the Bible. They will not use these rock-solid truths. They won't let God govern the way that he's supposed to be known. And he's supposed to be found. And he's supposed to be sought. And so... At the end of the day, both of these errors, agnosticism and mysticism, are defeated by the biblical reality that God has revealed himself in the manner and, in the, and to the extent that he has chosen to do so. So God has spoken in his word, and he's given himself to us in the manner and to the extent that he's chosen to do so. It's not in our own grasp. It's not like the mystic who kind of finds his way into it. It's here. It's solid. God has spoken to us. And so in this regard, um, Matthew Barrett says something else that's very helpful. He says, God may be incomprehensible. And that's that mystery aspect that we're talking about. But he is not unknowable. And this is the best thing right here. It says, any, any doubt is removed the moment that God opens his mouth. Right? Any of this kind of like mysticism or agnosticism is defeated the moment that God opened his mouth. If our God was just a God who never spoke to us, who never interacted with us, who never told us what to do to please Him, who never told us what He wanted to have done to worship Him, then of course we would have a hard time knowing, we'd have a hard time understanding. We'd be mystics or we would be agnostics. But He didn't do that. He spoke to us. He opened His mouth and He spoke to us. He told us what to do. And He told us what He's like. And so now you might have been wondering, what does this all have to do with the decrees of God? What does this all tie into the decrees of God? Um, And so there's these two aspects I want to apply it to our lives with. I'm going to try to help you see how all we've been talking about kind of brings it back down to our day-to-day life and how we can kind of put this into practice. So the reality is that on this side of heaven, there are so many things in our lives, as you know, and in our testimonies and in our experience that will not make perfect sense to us. We can easily drive ourselves crazy. Really, If we try to understand things that God never wanted us to understand. Okay. And that's why his word is so important. There's certain things that God wants us to understand. There's certain things he does not want us to understand. And we can drive ourselves crazy trying to understand things that he didn't want us to understand. And therefore, since God is incomprehensible and mysterious. Since there's this element of mystery that remains when we talk about God. We should limit our wondering or our imagination to what Scripture has told us to wonder about. Okay? We should limit our wondering and our anxiety and our thinking to what Scripture has told us to wonder and, and worry about and think about. No, you shouldn't really worry about anything, but you get what I mean. Um, so um, so trying to understand God's decree, right the fact that he has planned all things whatsoever that come to pass from eternity is only well done, is only done properly to the measure, to the extent that we do so to the way that He's revealed it to us, right? And I've repeated this over and over. And going beyond that is to go too far. To go beyond that is to stray into things that don't belong to us. So the interesting thing is that anyone in here who is a Christian has probably already seen that God has worked together for their good. Some things in their life they've already seen. God worked together for my good in that. Even though at the moment it felt horrible. But at the same time. There's other things for some of the people in this room right now. Where there are things that still remain confusing. They still remain remain in the dark. They don't understand why that horrible thing happened. They don't understand why um, that doctrine is true. Or why that aspect is the case. Right? So there's this element of things that we do know there's this fact that we've seen certain things taking place in our life as God has worked all things together for good and there's other things that we don't understand so at the end of the day the question is will we have faith the end of the day for us is will we have faith in studying and limiting our understanding to what scripture has told us to wonder about will we have faith will we trust that God is all wise that he is all knowing that he is love that he is good Or will we instead trust in our own perception in those moments when we might have confusion or blurriness or darkness even, sadness, heartbreak, whatever it might be. And so this mystery and grandeur of God and his being beyond us and above us is ultimately intended to cause us to worship him, right? It's supposed to cause us to be filled with worship because we realize it's in his hands, casting it in his hands, trusting him with it. And then we come to him in in a sanctuary and we come together and we pray and we praise him for who he is and for the fact that he knows better than us. And to receive him speaking to us, right, When, when the pastor's preaching, we're receiving his truth. He's speaking truth to us instead of us going about it, trying to figure it out on our own. So let's limit ourselves to what we're being taught, limit ourselves to what scripture tells us to limit ourselves to. And the second thing is that since God is incomprehensible and there remains an element of mystery, without us becoming mystical or agnostic, I want us to not put God in a box. Okay? This is a severely abused phrase by many people who want to throw away the Bible. They want to throw away the Scripture. Okay, They basically say, oh, don't put God in a box when you say that Whatever, he's a trinity or something that's important that we need to know. Don't put God in a box. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying scrap the scriptures. A lot of people abuse this phrase, but at the end of the day, um, this phrase can be helpful to us. And that's because in the Reformed tradition and in circles like ours where we're very doctrinal, where we spend a lot of time sitting around talking about what do you think this verse means? What do you think this doctrine is? Or what is this 74 lessons from the catechism? Or how many, how many uh, theology podcasts did you listen to this week? Or whatever. These kind of things. Those are all good things. I would never disparage any of those things. But don't ever let theology become such a thing that you fail to be mind blown by it. That you fail to remember that God is not in your little neat, polite proper little doctrinal categories. He does not fit in them because you with your mind and those words, doesn't matter how good that theologian happens to be, cannot fully comprehend him, cannot fully capture him. You could never ever in your life after all your hours of every day studying him, you could never fully comprehend or capture what he is. So don't let him get squeezed into your little box, okay? But at the same time, Don't disparage theology, don't disparage knowing, don't disparage studying, don't disparage any of that. So I hope we can keep those two things in tension. And at the end of the day, let us go worship God now in accordance with what he's given us, what he's revealed to us. Let's trust him and aim with the things that we um, trust him and just put in his uh, hands and put in his confidence and aim to worship him with the things that he's given us to know, right? Right? The things that he's given to us, the things in his word, the instructions he's given. Let's go forth and worship him in light of those. And please him in light of those. And let's leave him and leave in his hands and trust in his hands the things that we don't yet understand. Things that our minds don't yet comprehend. The things that we currently wrestle with and don't fully grasp. And so that's that's it for this morning. Uh, Can one of y'all please close us in prayer? Jeremy? Pray, God the Father, we thank you for these truths that you have uh, taught us this morning. You are in confidence, of the Lord. And we thank you, Father, that you have uh, chosen to reveal certain truths to us, Lord. We pray that we might not read between the lies, but that we might stay within the bounds of your scripture. Pray, Father, that you might do this as we go and worship you this morning, Father, that you might help us to truly see you and understand you in your moment. Amen.